Engaging Leader, episode 196, How to Win Like the Forbes 100 Most Innovative Leaders, featuring Dr. Jeff Dyer, brought to you by Workforce Communication. Leadership inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, Engagers. How do you win the support you need to bring to life you and your team's ideas? Great leaders of innovation know that creativity is not enough. They succeed not only on the basis of their ideas, but because they have the vision, reputation, and networks to win the backing needed to turn ideas into reality. My guest today is Dr. Jeff Dyer. This is Jeff's second time on the Engaging Leader podcast. He joined us exactly 100 episodes ago talking about bringing the concept of the lean startup into your organization. Jeff is the creator of the Forbes 100 Most Innovative Leaders. He's a professor of strategy at Brigham Young University in Wharton, and he's the author of several books on innovation. His latest is Innovation Capital, How to Compete and Win Like the World's Most Innovative Leaders, and it sold out on Amazon the first week of publication. Today, we'll discuss what you can learn from the examples set by the 100 Most Innovative Leaders, including ways you can garner support for you and your team's ideas and projects. And we'll share some stories from the superstars of innovation, such as Jeff Bezos from Amazon and Elon Musk from Tesla. Dr. Jeff Dyer, welcome back to Engaging Leader. Thanks, Jesse. It's great to be with you again today. Jeff, what's the difference between the Forbes list of most innovative leaders and the Forbes list of most innovative companies? So the Forbes list of most innovative companies comes from all companies that have 10 billion more of market cap. And we basically created a metric to look at whether there was a premium in their stock price because investors were expecting innovations to produce new, bigger income streams. We then took that same list of companies, the 10 billion plus, and looked at the CEOs and founders of those companies and we created a methodology to rank them based upon whether their leaders got a lot of media attention for being innovative and doing new things at the companies, whether they had a lot of Twitter followers and a lot of social connections on LinkedIn, and whether their companies generated a lot of market value and stock price appreciation. And then we ranked the leaders of those companies based upon those metrics. So the one, one list is mostly about their the, the non-social type metrics, just looking at the company itself. And then when you rank, when you picked and ranked the leaders, you were looking at things like their Twitter following and so forth. Yeah. So it not only includes a measure of whether or not the company has performed well in terms of generating uh, stock price appreciation and market value, but also whether or not they're good at getting attention for themselves and their companies uh, around new uh, innovation initiatives. It could be new products, new services, new processes. You know, folks like uh, Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, who were tied for number one on our list, are very good at getting attention for themselves and for their companies. Now, the book is called Innovation Capital. Can you give us a simple definition of innovation capital? Sure. So we all know what political capital is. It's something that a person holds in the political arena that allows them to get other people 
to sort of do what they want or to sponsor them. Innovation capital is sort of similar in that it's related to your reputation for getting uh, innovative things done. It's related to your connections, your social capital with uh, folks who are innovators. And it's related to whether or not you have a, a history of being, you know, sort of creative and persuasive around those creations. And um, others will look then at your sort of background and history around innovation and decide whether they want to sponsor you, whether that means joining your team to do something new or providing financial assistance. And so someone with innovation capital has the capacity to win resources from others and do new things. Hmm. And you break that down into three components, which you, you sort of briefly, you, you kind of already said this, but can you break it down for us? Yeah, yeah. So, so there are sort of three components that you sort of uh, add or maybe even think about multiplying together that add up to one's innovation capital. So if I'm a sponsor trying to decide whether to support you and you're wanting to do something new, I'm first of all going to look at your human capital related to creativity and creative problem solving. And do I think that you are really good at coming up with new ideas that make a difference? Now, there are people who come up with ideas that make a difference, uh, like Nikola Tesla, who was an inventor, but he never was able to build the social capital or relationships with others who had key resources. So that's the second component is you develop relationships, social capital with people who have key resources that you might need to take an idea forward. And the third is then you build a reputation and a track record for innovation that allows you to exploit that to bring in even other uh, resources and people to your venture. And you add those uh, up and a sponsor will look at someone and say, this person is creative and has a, a history of creative problem solving. They have social connections with the right kinds of folks to do new things. And they have a reputation and track record for innovation. And as those things add up, it increases my likelihood as a sponsor to want to back you and the new things you're trying to do. What's, why is it more, why is it about more than just creativity? I mean, you mentioned Tesla and I love in the book, the, the difference, how you compare him with Thomas Edison and um, Tesla was probably more creative, but in the long term, Edison was more successful. Yeah. So if you look at uh, Edison versus Tesla, or maybe a more current example would be Steve Jobs versus Steve Wozniak at Apple, right? They were co-founders. Wozniak had some of the key ideas behind the computer itself and was a creative guy, just like Nikola Tesla was. But Edison and Jobs had the ability to um, promote their ideas, to assemble teams of folks to support them. And um, they were really good at building their reputation as a leader of innovation. And, um, you know, Edison did this, you know, we don't today maybe know as much about how he did this, but he was great at networking with the Vanderbilts and J.P. Morgan and financiers and making sure that electricity got to J.P. Morgan's house, you know, uh, as one of the first houses in New York when he started uh, Edison Electric, uh, the company. He was great when there would, he would come up with a new invention uh, at Edison Electric like the phonograph, he would immediately take it to the newspapers and show it off and get publicity for it. And so, uh, you know, he, Jobs was the same way as, in terms of being really good at reaching out to promote uh, ideas that 
was a really important difference between just being creative and the ability to persuade, promote, and to be able to engage people to get on, you know, sort of your uh, project or innovation bandwagon. And that's the difference between being just a creative versus an innovative leader. Mm. Tell us about the innovator's paradox. Yeah, so there's a paradox in that when I come up with an idea, the more creative, the more radical the idea, the more uncertainty there is that it will work. And I'm going out and I'm trying to get resources from sponsors to help me to commercialize that idea. You go to those sponsors and they say, well, what I want you to do is I want you to reduce the uncertainty. I want you to be able to prove it out. So once you've proven it out, then I'll think about giving you to to take it forward. The problem that the innovator faces, though, the paradox is, well, I need the resources in order to prove it out. And yet you're telling me I need to prove it out before you'll give me the resources. (laughs) The ability to leap over that paradox. Some people um, over time are able to convince others to, you know, put skin in the game behind an unproven idea. That is, you know, really the, the thing that we see when we studied folks like, uh, you know, Elon Musk or Indra Nooyi at PepsiCo, that they were able to get others to bring resources to their ideas, even if it seemed they seemed maybe a little bit uh, wild or crazy. You know, it, it seems a little crazy to think about, uh, you know, boring tunnels under L.A. <laughs> or, you know, building a hyperloop to shoot people from L.A. to San Francisco. And yet Elon Musk, just by talking about these ideas um, and bringing visibility to the problem, has been able to get, you know, a lot of uh, folks engaged in looking to solve it and, and bring money to it. So that's the, the challenge innovators often face when they're trying to do something radical. And you're trying to overcome that innovator's paradox by uh, getting people to give you uh, resources. Yeah, that's fascinating. It's a real talent. I, I, I hadn't really thought of it, about it that way, but I, I want to look back on my career and some of the crazy ideas or you know innovations that, that I've come up with or been a part of a team coming up with. And sometimes we were successful and sometimes we weren't. And to relatively consistently be able to make that happen is amazing. Yeah, and I think all new ideas require adaptation because you often have to pivot because you don't have it right the first time. And the ability to continue to convince others to stick with you as you pivot and try new things is really a a, a valuable skill. And um, some folks are just better at it than others. So winning support for ideas is about much more than just simply pitching ideas effectively. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, so I think we've had people come to us when I say we, the co-authors of Innovation Capital, and say, you know, I have this, what I think is a really a good idea, and I, you know, I want to take it forward, but I don't really, um, I, I don't know how to get those resources. And I've developed this like little pitch deck. And so, you know, I think I can go maybe pitch it and be reasonably persuasive. And um, what they often don't uh, really appreciate is that in terms of getting sponsorship, often there's a domino effect that if you can figure out how to get endorser A, then that will get you to endorser B and endorser C, and that you develop this strategy and approach of how can I network 
to, you know, this endorser A in a way uh, with somebody who knows this person. And you figure out a strategy for working your weak ties to get to that person in a credible way. Um, and you, you try and figure out uh, really what kinds of ideas will excite particular sponsors and why. So it really is, in some ways, uh, you have to think about sponsors like customers. Like, how can I get someone to buy my idea? And you have to develop a strategy. And that typically involves just like getting a customer to buy your product. You got to have sort of the right channels, the right messaging and all of that. The same is sort of true for a sponsor. Um, You know, a pitch deck is nice and being able to make that pitch, but it should be only one component of a larger strategy. Hmm. What, what are, can you talk about another skill or two that would be most likely to convince others that you have what it takes to successfully lead an innovation project? Yeah, I would say um, one of the things that we learned in terms of just skills, one is this ability to be a forward thinker, which really means sort of being able to, uh, you know, engage in mental time travel to sort of travel to the future and try and see, you know, what are customers, what are people, what's, what is the world likely to want and why? And also to be able to then look at the technologies that are, uh, you know, coming um, and emerging that might allow us to do new things. And that skill to be able to identify an opportunity, which is a marriage of um, understanding what folks will want in the future and understanding what technologies are emerging that will allow it are, I think, really important to creating this vision of opportunity. And people that develop innovation capital are often very good at developing this vision of opportunity, much like, uh, you know, Elon Musk has done with, uh, you know, the Tesla and electric vehicles, you know, this, this notion of we're going to reduce carbon footprint, we're going to have fast, uh, quiet, safe vehicles. And that's what we really want in our future. Uh, in, in similar fashion, when he started SpaceX, creating this vision of opportunity of folks wanting to be able to fly into space, but also being able to perhaps create a colony on Mars that may someday save the human race. So I think uh, the ability to be a forward thinker is really an important skill to building innovation capital. So some of that, when I listen to you talk about it, I feel a little bit overwhelmed uh, as if, okay, I need to be one of these, I forget what what the word is, the future a futurist or a futurist yeah, yeah. thinking 50 years out 20 years out but a lot of the examples you give in the book also are just thinking two years out and just noticing a problem that maybe other people accept as a fact of everyday life and just like well why does it have to be that way yeah i think um for example indra nuyi um she took over as ceo at pepsico at a time when the company's stock price was declining it was known as sort of a junk food company selling, you know, sodas and, and unhealthy snacks. And she, um, she created a megatrends group um, to try and look into the future to see what, you know, what the trends are and how are they going to impact our business. And she created a, a new mission or vision of what she called performance with purpose. Mm. And she wanted, uh, you know, good performance from the company, but she wanted it with the purpose of creating a portfolio of healthy foods. And so they started an initiative of creating healthier foods with less sugar and less salt and less saturated fats. 
and also wanted to leave a sustainable footprint in terms of um, food and water. And she was able to get folks behind this in part because she talked about growing up in India and not really having any water while companies um, really uh, wasted water. And she said, you know, we, we, we didn't have any water and we need to be sustainable as a company. So here's a case where she now she takes a company, PepsiCo, that has been doing the same thing for a long time, selling sodas and snack foods and creates a purpose of we are going to bring a healthier portfolio of products to the marketplace. And we're going to do it in a way that saves water, that is sustainable in terms of food. And this is a way to get folks behind, you know, an initiative that really matters in three, five, seven years. And like you said, not 20 or 30 years down the road. That's a great example. You know, and speaking of a great example of a female leader of innovation there at Pepsi, the the list of 100 most innovative CEOs uh, currently includes only one woman, Barbara Rentler, the CEO of Ross Stores. Why is that and, and what can we learn from it? Yeah, so... One of the things that we did when we did this Forbes list was we were doing it on the same set of companies that were being ranked um, for the Forbes Most Innovative Companies list. And that meant large companies, S&P 500, S&P 500 uh, companies. And the fact of the matter is, at least in our sample, less than 3% of those companies are led by women CEOs. So it's a small sample. And there was only one, if you'd have done that list like uh, six months earlier, you would have had Indra Nooyi, who was uh, number 20 on our first list. You'd have had Irene Rosenfeld, who was the CEO of Mondelez Craft, um, who was around number 50, but still relatively small numbers. Uh, and if you, you know, did the list actually today, you'd add folks like Marilyn Hewson of Lockheed Martin and Lisa Sue of Advanced Micro D Devices, along with Barbara Rentler. But what this means is there, in terms of ranking CEOs of large companies, there are still few women today. And I think that there are, um, there are still challenges for women moving to the top of those big companies that men don't have. I think there are some challenges getting attention, even sort of maybe media attention. So I think we still have a long ways to go in terms of creating opportunity for women to move to the CEO position at larger organizations. Uh, we're making progress, but it's still rather slow. And so a lot of women are uh, creating innovations in, you know, smaller companies and in their roles in sort of more of mid to upper management positions. Yeah. Is it true that the most valuable reputation that any individual or organization can have is that of an innovator? And, and if so, why is that? That's, um, yeah, that's a question that we asked when we decided to do some of the research we did on uh, reputations. So what we did was we did this at the company level and then we did it at the person level, the CEO level, which was we measured their media reputation, meaning the number of articles that the media wrote about this company or this CEO uh, about being an innovator, let's say, or being really good at execution and cost reduction or efficiency, or being good at sort of quality or sustainability, or there are a variety of different reputations that we looked at and measured by media attention. And then we looked at whether or not a reputation for innovation had a bigger impact on subsequent market value the next year and the year after that than a reputation for efficiency 
or a reputation for quality or sustainability or other kinds of reputations. And this is where we found empirically, again, this was among uh, S&P 500 companies, that if, you have a, if you're a company, you get more bang for the buck in terms of market value um, from a reputation for innovation than you do for a reputation for execution or efficiency or quality or sustainability. So um, that's why we claim that as an organization or as an individual, it seems like for uh, various reasons that investors like companies that have a reputation for innovation because they think they're going to come up with something new. Employees like working for a company that have a, a reputation for innovation because it's a brand that we all like to have. We want to be associated with an Apple or an Amazon or a Tesla, you know, companies that have this innovation brand. And so uh, we've been able to empirically show that if you're a company or an individual, the best reputation to have in terms of increasing the market value of your company is that of innovator. Yeah, so I, I can see that whether you're a customer or an employee or an investor, being part of something new is exciting and being a part of the, the the people who are creating this, whether you're the consumer or the, or the creator, you're still excited to be a part of something new. Yeah. And I think that's actually one of the keys to visionary leadership. So we talk about in the book, this notion of visionary leadership, which we all kind of have heard about a little bit, but most of us really don't know what does that mean to be a visionary leader? And it's interesting. We talked to a fellow named Sterling Anderson. He was the head of autopilot at Tesla and then left to do a startup on uh, mobility, uh, uh, autopilot, basically, um, at a startup called Aurora Innovation. He told us, you know, Elon Musk is really good at attracting a great people to his companies. And he said the way he does it is with an exciting and lofty vision, whether it's Tesla, you know, in terms of, you know, sustainable, you know, carbon, you know, emission-free world and cars, whether it's SpaceX powering into to space and, and to, to Mars potentially, but even just like the battery, the power wall, he talks about it changing the fundamental energy structure of the world, this battery in your garage. And what he's able to do then is he uses that exciting and lofty vision to attract people to his company. And then he gives them a strategic direction. For example, at Tesla, we're going to start at the high end of the market with really um, desirable cars, and then we're going to build volume, and then we're going to move down market, and we're going to go and create more affordable cars. And um, so he creates the vision, the strategic direction, and then gives them stretch goals, like, you know, we're going to hit 300 plus miles an hour on a charge to deal with range anxiety. By putting together the vision with the strategic direction and the stretch goals, he's able to get an organization excited with a path forward to achieving that exciting and lofty vision. And that's what great innovative leaders do. Hmm. Now, we've been talking a, a number of examples like uh, of CEOs like Indra and Elon. What about uh, someone who might be listening in there, an aspiring corporate leader? Um, are there any simple steps that you might suggest for them to start building innovation capital? Yes, actually, um, I think the most important first step you can take is to try to be a founder. And when I, when I say a founder, a founder of some kind of initiative in your organization. So you don't have to start a new product or a new business. Of course, it's, it's, it's great if you can, can do that. But 
An example would be a fellow named Andy Jassy at Amazon. And Andy was uh, Jeff Bezos' uh, uh, sort of technical assistant um, in the early days at Amazon and would be involved in discussions about the company's core competencies. And they would come up with new ideas uh, that they would want to try as a company. And he just raised his hand for different uh, kinds of initiatives to try and help be the founder. One of those was an initiative that was to create um, enterprise software capabilities that other companies would want that later became Amazon Web Services. Now, this propelled him to become the CEO of Amazon Web Services. But we've talked to other people that were founders of, uh, like Indra Nooyi, founders of the the Megatrends Group at uh, PepsiCo. We talked to Mary Lombardo, a woman who became sort of the founder of an innovation initiative at United Technologies Corp, where she said, we need innovation scouts to be scouting the future of, you know, customer demand or preferences. And we need scouts to be helping us look into the future in terms of technologies. And that helped her become sort of the founder of this innovation group. Uh, Kate O'Keefe at Cisco was the founder of a similar sort of lab uh, where she um, brought in uh, companies outside of Cisco and they would try and come up with disruptive ideas together that they would then take forward. So I think uh, the, the most important thing you can try to do to stand out and to demonstrate that you can lead something is to try and be a founder of some type of an initiative at your organization. Jeff, it seems like these concepts aren't just helpful for leaders of innovation, but I mean, in so many different areas of career and life, it seems like this is, would be really helpful. You know, Jesse, uh, I think that's absolutely true. In fact, I had an executive MBA student reach out to me the other day who had lost his job and he had just read Innovation Capital. And he told me, you know, I didn't really realize that I was not building a reputation, my personal reputation or brand during my career and being thoughtful about that. I wasn't thoughtful about the relationships that I was building because I didn't really think about the fact that I would need sponsors when I want to do something new um, or even you know, within my company. And so he said, now I'm trying to apply some of these ideas to get attention for myself and for what I can do for a company as I look to get a new job. So I do think that a lot of these same principles apply to anybody who's looking for sponsorship to try and accomplish something. And that can be uh, even just, uh, you know, getting your first job. Isn't that fascinating? Well, we've been talking with Dr. Jeff Dyer about Forbes' list of America's 100 most innovative leaders and about Jeff's latest book, Innovation Capital. Jeff, where can people find out more about your work and get their hands on your book? Um, They can find out more about my work on uh, innovatorsdna.com. Innovators DNA is the innovation uh, training consultancy that I co-founded with uh, Curtis LaFront and Nathan Furr um, when I wrote uh, the first book on innovation that I did, uh, Innovators DNA. And they'll have information about the book, about the most innovative companies list at Forbes and our Forbes Innovative Leaders list. And I'm sure there'll be plenty of information about how to access the book through Amazon or other booksellers. InnovatorsDNA.com, and we'll put the link to that on our show notes for this episode. Dr. Jeff Dyer, thanks for joining us again on Engaging Leader. Thank you very much, Jesse. Appreciate it.
All right, Engagers, you can find the link to Jeff's website and other information about Jeff on our show notes for this episode, which you can find at engagingleader.com forward slash 196 as in episode 196. This is a production of Workforce Communication. We are a team of consultants and creatives using the power of communication to help organizations enhance the well-being and performance of their people. My colleagues and I partner with mid-sides and large employers to attract top talent, fully engage employees, and achieve superior business results. In several areas, including employer branding, talent management, wellness, benefits and compensation, business transformation, and more. Find us at WorkforceCommunication.com. Our thanks to Cecily Leahy, our producer, James Marler, our sound engineer, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Max Brody, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, in the 21st century, the real movers and shakers aren't just leaders, they're engagers.